0: All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast, Raf Giallo here. We're on RT.ie, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be looking ahead to the Ireland women's upcoming friendly against Zambia as the prep for next month's World Cup gathers pace. But first, we're going to react and reflect on the boys and greens 2-1 defeat to Greece and the 3-0 win over Gibraltar in Euro 2024 qualifying. And to do that, I'm joined by former Ireland striker Stephen Elliott and former League of Ireland winning midfielder Alan Colley. How are you both? Good, Raf good stuff uh, Alan uh, I heard you You mentioned you were in the stadium last night uh, for the Gibraltar win um, how did you find it
1: yeah it was, um, it was still a bit of a hangover from Friday I think Raph you know obviously still bitterly disappointed um, with the result on Friday the performance especially and probably disappointed as well because I've been a big fan of Stephen in terms of wanting him to do well and supporting him and um, felt he was the, the right one for the job when he got the job and um, all those things and obviously bringing young fellas through, but I just felt for the first time in his tenure, I've kind of gone from believing in him and what he's trying to do to feeling like he could be kind of uh hanging on by, by a bit of a thread after the game, because I just felt not so much, Obviously, it was disappointing to lose, but I just felt the performance and the manner in which we lost, I just felt it was very, very damaging for him, especially on Friday. And even the sense in the ground last night was, and I've noticed this over Stephen's time, he is a huge groundswell of support, especially in the stadium. You know, People really want to see him do well and um, they want to see us kind of progress. But I just felt even last night, the general feeling amongst the public and a lot of people who would have supported him that they're very much questioning Where we're going now at the moment as well So um, I didn't take much from the game itself Obviously it was a good win But Gibraltar were an absolute shambles, Raf, I don't think you could take anything from it And as I say, all the damage was done on Friday night
0: Yeah, let's listen to Stephen Kenny first Before we delve into uh, both games So he's speaking to Tony O'Donoghue After the full-time whistle
2: It was a worry, I'm sure, for you Coming up to the, and up, up to the first half Because as long as you were backing down that door It wasn't going to open
3: well, that can happen already. I think it was just important to keep our composure and just, uh, you know, believe in ourselves and create a lot of... Well, we had a lot of shots in the game, you know, we had 32 shots in the game, but um, thankfully uh, it was all about getting the first goal. We had a great chance in the first minute, for example, of the game that we didn't take. Um, but once you got the
2: first goal, it eases the tension and people can relax. And, and thankfully we've got two of it. You did your business at half time though? You uh, took off at one of the centre halves, Mikey Johnson. I mean, when a substitution works like that, they always say it's a managerial masterstroke. But what, were you thinking about that in the week about maybe changing the shape? Um,
3: yeah, well, it's that's what a squad is for, you know. And I think obviously Mike, Mikey came on, on on Friday, you know. And I, I think that's that's the reality. We're still disappointed about Friday, you know. We, we know we know that uh, we feel fa- that we felt it, you know. Um, I think um, uh, to lose that game, but it was important to because you've got a young squad, you know. I think that they were disappointed, but they were, just, they were it was important to respond in the right way. And of course, we're expected to beat Gibraltar uh, and the a low season in the group, the expectations there, but um, it was the same scoreline as France and Holland, who both be beat Gibraltar 3-0. We could have won by a lot more. We should have probably won by a lot more, but we didn't take the, some of the chances. But it was good that Adam Eda scored his first goal. That's a positive thing. Mikey Johnson
2: scored his first goal and Evan Ferguson scored his first competitive goal. So they were pluses. Is Evan Ferguson showing already that he's a player you can build a team around because he can he can play as a, an out-and-out out striker? He can play a bit deeper?
3: Well, I think he's still learning about international football. And um, I think... The, you know, getting his first goal. that can only give you—he scored here in the friendly against Latvia. But that can only give you confidence as well. It's good, great header, and uh, posing coming in like that off the cross, and he finished it well. Nearly got a second header. Um, so yeah, now listen—he's so young, still so 18, and uh, he's,
2: he, he, has an, he has an exciting future. You mentioned it's such a, a young team and James McLean spoke about, I suppose, you know, dealing with the pressure with those those young people. Were you concerned if the, if the result didn't go well tonight that the pressure would just continue to build? Uh, well,
3: <laughs> I think uh, the main thing for us, I don't let, let that enter the way I'm thinking. I think we need to just focus on the task ahead and that's the match, prepare accordingly. And some of the players that came in did well. Obviously, Jamie McGrath came in and did well tonight. And... Um, and I know that it's unfair to pick players really. Jason Knight I was absolutely flying. It was great to see that from Jason. I um, only took him off because he gave me a shout about your tight hamstring and uh, I had to, had, to, had to get him off and look after him. But, um you know, so looking so,
2: forward to the September window now and the big games ahead?
3: Well, they are big games and we've got France and Paris on a Thursday and here against Holland on a Sunday night, which is an epic two games in, in a three day period Thursday night in Paris Sunday night here place will be electric here with Holland coming and you know we've shown we've taken the when Portugal world class team we've, we've drawn with them here 2-1 over there with France 1-0 so the margins are tight and anything is possible in regard. no matter who we play that's the way I feel but sometimes we make life difficult for ourselves at other times and we, ha- we haven't achieves a level of consistency that we need. And that, that's been an, an issue for
0: us. Right, so that is Ireland manager Stephen Kenny speaking after the 3-0 win over Gibraltar. And uh, Stephen Elliott, I mean, uh, we were talking to Keith Tracy on the podcast last week and he was saying that six points were a must. Not an expectation, but a must in terms of, you know, the the margin of error in terms of trying to get, you know, the second place in the group, which looks looked very unlikely when the draw was made initially. But it, that would be needed, 12 points from Greece and Gibraltar. That hasn't happened, at least in this window, from the possible six They've ended up with three. So, as Stephen Kenny said, there, there's you know an epic September coming up. It just leaves Ireland in a very tough position, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, I think. Listen, I think the Greece game. I think even listening to Stephen's demeanour there, like his body language, you can still tell. You can still tell he's kind of like Horton from the the Greek game, and that was the game. Listen, Gibraltar. We can talk about Gibraltar all day long. Every team has beaten them three 0 in the group. Like Al mentioned earlier on, they're not very good. They're they're an awful team, like and any any kind of decent alpha beat them. But the damage was done in Greece. Listen, we're, we're talking about the qualification now. We've no chance now, really. We needed to, we needed to get minimum. We needed to get a draw even out in Greece. But ultimately, we needed to beat them, and we we ended up coming away with nothing. But now we listen. This qualifying campaign is over. We've got two games coming up in September now, and away to France. Listen, it's we can always say you've always got a chance, like kind of a fighter's chance, a punch, but we, we've no chance. We really have no chance. From what we've seen how oh, this football team, the way we've been playing in any kind of real test, like bar the, the few results we picked up against teams that we should be beating comfortably. I I haven't. I, I genuinely, listen, I, a little bit like Gal, you're starting to feel a bit sorry for Stephen because he, he went in there, listen, it was his dream job. League of Ireland manager, done unbelievable with Dundalk kind of in Europe as well. Gets the Ireland job, you the whole country are behind them, but ultimately, if you look at it, and, and you can mention the players. And know and Brady spoke about the quality of players during the week. But listen, you you, you got to feed it wherever squad of players you have a confidence. And I just don't, I'm not sure whether the players are fully. I know they come out and say they are fully behind them, but they don't look like they're playing. Like for example, that Greek, the great going back to the Greece game. How long did we we had kind of what was it two weeks with the squad before we played that game? And the way we the way we performed on the on the evening it looked like we didn't know what we were doing what way we were trying to play, the players looked tired and sluggish and yeah it was it was a real disappointment and ultimately it's been the it's kind of been the nail in the coffin for this campaign and regarding the kind of the national team going forward whether Stephen's still going to be in charge that's not up to me it's not up to us but we we kind of watch watch and see what happens but. Now I think damage was done done on Friday, and it's a real shame because we all want we all support I and mean, we all want Ireland to do well. We want the Aviva Lansdowne buzzing for the big games. Holland coming here now um, in September, you want it, but it's just very hard. It's very hard to lift it because it's basically there's a good, well, there's a really high chance that these games are going to be pointless. And to be saying that at this stage already, it's it's just really disappointing. And Again, no matter the quality in the squad, we have to be able to performing better than what we have been shown but it's it's just disappointment again it's just from an Irish fan I know there was 40 odd thousand there I don't know whether that was because I think some some people were able to buy tickets for regarding the Holland game as well they kind of came in a package but now it was it was I don't know it doesn't it's very it's very kind of it's very low times for for Irish football at the moment something needs to change and listen that from from deeper in not just the national team we we gotta we gotta kind of we got to do something to change the, the way football is seen in our country because at the moment, we're just going one way. We, we only had to look. We talk about the players. Like, Listen, they're not as good as what we used to have to pick from, but ultimately, we're still okay. We need to be doing more. And that's, I don't know, it's just a shame. It's just a shame because we have one or two players that you think, you know what, we might be turning around the corner like Ferix and Nathan Collins, obviously, he was took off last night. But we have players that are playing at a really high level and have come onto the scene where you just feel like, we should be getting more out of them in the squad, albeit they're not at the levels we've seen in previous Ireland kind of generations.
0: Yeah, because Alan, I mean, with all due respect to France and March, I think that was always going to be seen as more of a a free hit and there was a lot of focus on this June window and also just Euro 2024 as the qualifying campaign as a whole in terms of the progression Stephen Kenny's team would make over a three-year period so you know it's five wins in 24 competitive games overall during his tenure so what's your I suppose what's your takeaway from how this squad and I suppose the management team together have either developed or progressed over over that time period and where there where I suppose Irish football is at at least at senior men's level? Yeah, I think
1: uh, off the back of the weekend and the camp just gone, I think it is at a, at a low ebb and there's a lot of um, disappointed people out there because, as you say, Raf, the first couple of years we totally understood. Obviously, there was COVID and unprecedented circumstances and... We allowed a little bit for that. Obviously, you had to, and there was a lot of excuses around kind of, um, well, genuine cases well, where there was injuries and all sorts of things going on out of Stephen's control. Plus the fact that any knowledgeable football fan or Irish people uh, who were involved in football in this country knew that Stephen was working off a very low base. So you were almost allowing him that time to build because we were obviously trying to bring in a lot of new players. And I was very much of that view. Now we're at the case where he's three years into the job. This is the campaign I've said all along that we need to see some sort of results or progress or whatever phrase you want to put on it. Obviously, when the draw was made, of course, the draw was going to be very, very difficult and people weren't expecting us to top a group or finish second because of the opposition we were going up against. But we definitely were expecting that we'd be some sort of uh, competitive in the group and in the mix. Now, the way the games have fallen, obviously Greece coming up second. um, And as you say, the first game was a free hit with Greece coming up second. That's just unfortunate for Stephen because this was always going to be the pivotal game in the group. And sometimes your pivotal game might come three, four, five games into a group where obviously it came as the second one. And the build up around it, the preparation, 10 days, two weeks together, uh, everybody was building up that it was going to be this massive game and huge game, which it was. And if we had any realistic hopes or expectation to try and be competitive in the group, we had to beat Greece. Now, That wasn't a case of us thinking we were going to go over there and beat Greece. We have no divine right to beat anyone when you look at the teams that we've beaten competitively, uh, Azerbaijan, Luxembourg, Armenia. These are the type of standard of teams that we're beating. So we were never going to rock up and beat um any top team and Greece are kind of similar rankings to us three three lower so it was always going to be a difficult tie but the one thing I expected that we'd go over there and give a good account of ourselves and a very good showing and possibly a good performance and if we did play well we might get a victory or get a draw but it just feels because it was so bad um, that as Stephen said we're almost out of the group already before it starts and can you honestly realistically think Raf Judging by the games that we've played already, the teams that we've beat competitively. I mentioned Armenia, Luxembourg, Azerbaijan. The only one we've beaten in the top sixty in the world was Scotland last year in a competitive fixture. And obviously Gibraltar last night. They're all the average rankings of those teams that we've beat, I think, is 121. So does that give you any hope in a campaign in six weeks' time or eight weeks' time, whatever it is, that we're going to beat the likes of the Netherlands and France and get ourselves back into the group? So as much as, as, I say, I was all for Stephen, and I was, and um, you look at it now three years in, and I can't be a hypocrite about it. I said this was the campaign that they were going to judge him on and that I was going to judge him on as well, and you have to get results three years in, and unfortunately, they fell way below off uh, the standard on Friday night, and that's where the damage was done.
0: Yeah, and uh, the, uh, the, the team selection for Athens, Um, I know, Stephen, you were looking at a, Um, I know you tweeted about like you were surprised that Abafemi didn't start on the night. Now, he started against Gibraltar. Did you find that a little bit strange? Maybe in the sense, in terms of the way those teams were going to set up, Gibraltar were going to sit deep, so maybe Ida would have been better off starting that one, and yeah. uh, the spaces that Greece would probably leave, being the home team in Athens, that maybe Obafemi would have been better running into the channels there. Yeah, the thing for me about Obafemi
4: is, listen, I know we played last night; he wasn't outstanding last night. But regarding the, the Greek game, you look, you're looking, you're going over to Greece, and you're looking for that little kind of boost a little bit of energy up there and somebody that can do something a little bit different and you go back over Stephen's reign like and it wasn't so long ago we were t- before Evan Ferguson busted onto the scene we were talking about tripara Parra and Obafemi being this kind of partnership and they linked up so well like in the Scotland game and, and do you know what I mean they, they're looking sharp and they're, they're playing well and you're thinking this is us going forward and then you look at the when I seen the starting line-up, by Evan Ferguson. Listen, I understand Ferguson. He's been phenomenal this year, and he's probably the first name of the team sheet at the moment, scoring goals in the Premier League. He's 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 doing great. He's basically carrying the nation on his shoulders a little bit. That's just the way it seemed a little bit in recent times. But when I seen Adam Midas, uh, I had a start, and I was just very surprised. Listen regarding ida i just when i watch him play i listen we're all due respect to him i don't i don't see an international player there at the moment like i, I don't know what age he 22 23 and he's obviously Stephen had him with the 21s and he, and he's obviously done well from there but he, he he seems to have shown a lot of fate in him and when i'm watching watching him play for ireland i don't see if he bring what he brings to the brings the like to the party i look at even Troy Parrott. i know Troy Parra hasn't kind of he struggled with injuries this year, but I like the way Troy plays. He kind of gets on the ball. He looks like an international player. He could be an international player. And if any criticism of Troy, he needs to get in the box more and try and kind of score some more goals because I know he has the capabilities of doing that. But I just felt that was a poor selection. And regarding Obafemi, I just think he's got that. Going back to Obafemi, he had energy and I think he could have been a good kind of, in that Greece, in that Greece game, just a good option for like defenders to hit as well. Do you know what I mean? A bit of a... Just a bit of something, a bit of a spark. Whereas we had not, we had nothing in Athens. It was just like you're watching it, and it's it was actually painful to watch. Like you were just watching it, and the lads looked tired. like even I go as far. I mentioned this before there on the weekend on the radio. Matt Doherty, the fact that he went and got himself sent off in the ninety second minute, stupidly, and it was a blatant red card, and at that that to me tells you a lot about how the players are feeling oh players can come out and speak and say yeah we're fully behind the manager they're with this with that with that they're not going to say anything else do you know what i mean that's what they're going to say i think actions speak louder than words and the fact that matt Dartley went and got some experienced player got himself sent off tells tells me a lot of what what the feeling is amongst the group it's a real like subconscious feeling down we don't know what we're doing and it just it, honestly it's it's very bleak at the minute and it's very hard to be positive about anything
0: yeah, and Alan, a little bit further back in the midfield. and I wanted to just get your take on that, um you know, in Athens itself. And we might get touched a little bit on Gibraltar and the system as well, especially in the second half. But in Greece itself, the midfield seemed somewhat non-existent, and there were a few couple of players who were somewhat anonymous. So could you maybe just talk us through what was what the issue was there in terms of midfield balance?
1: Yeah, the one that's disappointed me most of all in the camp is because jo- is Josh Cullen in the two games and even watching him last night. And that game is an easy game for a midfielder, especially a deep lying midfielder. No pressure on you whatsoever. They're just camped on the edge of their box. You're the one getting, picking the ball up off centre halves and starting the attacks. And he was given the ball away left, right, and centre in the first half under no pressure whatsoever. And the reason I'd be most disappointed with him. Is because he's the one that's playing every week in a good Burnley team that's just got promoted under a good manager of a company, and he's stepping up to the Premier League. And there's been a lot of talk about Josh and Stephen again has put a lot of faith in him. And he has done quite well in the games. But I just felt in this camp, and as you say, the most important game, whatever about last night, the most important game was Friday. And it was, it was non-existent, him and Malumbi, both of them, especially as well in in the sense that what they can be good at, particularly Malumbi, is his energy that he brings and getting around the pitch they looked even devoid of that, like, you know, is that they were, and and I know they haven't played in six weeks and that's been labelled at a lot of the stuff, but a lot of the countries haven't played in six weeks, you know, so I don't think that was an excuse and I don't think we can use that as an excuse either because they had the preparation and the build up, which was quite good. Obviously going away for 10 days, getting the players together, all that stuff we had heard, Steven delighted with the camp, all the, all the buzzwords that was coming out of it was that it was all very positive. So then to rock up in the performance that they did and particularly him, uh, you mentioned the midfielder, I was most disappointed with that because, because of the reason that he's playing every week, uh, Raf, and I would have just expect so much more. And then to broaden out the argument, Obviously, Stephen mentioned Ida as a forward player. I don't know, has, has Stephen overegged it here with some of the players as well? Because I know Liam Brady made the comments last week. I think that was more in defense of Stephen rather than being critical of the players, to be fair to Liam. He was kind of saying in his time eh, that of all the managers that he has seen, they've all had a better crop of players than what Stephen has to pick from. So I don't know, has Stephen overegged it as well in the sense that you go through all these players at the moment who are all hearing the potential and they're this and they're that they're all struggling to play at their club's draft. So in one sense, we can be critical of Stephen and, and as we have been in the early part of the discussion, but then the argument goes all across to the players and I think between the both, between the manager, obviously struggling at the moment and then what he's picking from, I think it's a combination of things as well, but the manager will always pay the price. Obviously, he's the one with his head on the chopping block and um, the book stops with him, if you like, uh, but I just think a couple of them haven't really shown up in this campaign as well, and whatever about lads who were in and out and not in regularly, the likes of Cullen, there was no excuse for him, and I thought he was bitterly disappointing in the two games.
0: Yeah, um, let's listen to because you've you both mentioned the Liam Brady um, clip. Let's listen to that first before we talk about the the system and maybe little tweaks and changes that could be, could be made there.
5: Uh, I know we haven't got the players there. This is the worst group of players that any manager has had in my worst. The worst, the worst yeah. group. In my lifetime, yeah. You go through all the managers. Martin O'Neill, Mick McCarthy, Steve Staunton, Jack Charlton. They're all the better players than than Stephen's
3: got at the moment.
5: But somehow you've got to mould them into a team that gets you a result here and there. We haven't done that,
0: you know? that was Liam Brady. Like, we we're going to play another clip as well because obviously he had a. it was a kind of a meant to stay for him and I suppose for those of us who grew up with the panel as well uh, last night. But in regards to what he said there, Stephen, um, I, I know you mentioned it earlier and you kind of echoed the same point uh, after last night's game as well in terms of the quality of players available. But there isn't really anybody outside the squad. Like, I mean, there were periods before where I suppose there was like Wes Hoolan wasn't uh, being called up by Trapatoni. You go back to Andy Reid before that. There was always players sort of outside outside the camp maybe that you could point to who be brought in, but that doesn't really seem to exist now.
4: No, it doesn't. And and listen, let's be real here. Like The point, Liam, and I do agree with Alan, I don't think Liam was having a pop at uh, Stephen Kenny there when he mentioned that. I think it was more of a kind of just highlighting the, the reality of the players that we, we have to choose from. We, we haven't got a great kind of we haven't got huge quality to pick from, and like you say, a lot of the players that are in the squad aren't playing regularly. And but that that kind of for me, that kind of you can go back to Stephen Kenny. Then his team selection, like if that is the case, sometimes you got to stick with a kind of a team and a squad. Like for example, I know obviously O'Shea was injured, like but to bring Lenihan in in the Greek game was was a bit of a strange one as well. Like going nowhere, he's not being played, and then all of a sudden he's playing in this big massive game, and. Let's be honest. There was an issue down that side of the defense. There was a big channel there, and you got you got like if you haven't got a great squad of players, you got you got you are better off having a a small unit that play regularly and know each other's game. And that was the whole. That's where I thought the whole point of that two weeks was away, like out in Turkey, England for four days, building that kind of working on a formation, continuing on from that performance against France and like obviously Smallbone came in and nothing against Smallbone, he's a young player, he's done well at Stoke and that, but he looked lost out there. Like there's a big difference and it, maybe Stephen didn't realise that as much when he forced. took it. There's a big difference of being playing in the 21s, internationals to going on and then playing in that senior level football where results are matters, where results really matter. Like the 21s is great for developing players and listen, we we have, we've done all right with the 21s, young lads playing against other young lads, but when you come in to a senior setup, you have to be ready for it, otherwise you're going to get performances like what we've seen and I, I do think maybe Stephen did underestimate like previous managers as well some of the stuff he came out with at the start of his kind of well, oh, how we should be playing better and listen great we all want Ireland to play better but sometimes you have to kind of make do with the, the, the kind of hand you have and make a kind of flow flow as well as possible that you can and I don't know we just I just think he's a
1: Stephen so, sorry I think that's a good point as well when you look back I'd love When you look back at some of the comments Stephen made initially, and I know his intentions were good about the way we're going to play and we're going to do this and we're going to that, He talked up a really big game and I think now he might be looking back thinking maybe I I might have over-egged it a little bit or I might have been too bullish in his comments where if he was a bit more cautious, obviously he was new to international football as well, if he was a little bit more cautious in the sense because now that's the stick everybody's beating with him. You look at the criticism, everybody is saying, where's this football we were promised? Where's this flamboyant style? All this kind of nonsense. And we know from watching football, especially Ireland over the last time, any number of years, we were never going to play like that. You're never going to turn them into what what he would... So there was a balance to be made but the in the thing sense is to be, that... To be fair to Stephen, like, I, think, like,
4: he, I think he has that bit of stubborn stuff. But at first, like, he started off for a back four when he first came. That was the way he played. And then all of a sudden, by kind of default, he went to a back three and we stuck with the back three... And then you go to last night's game and you're thinking we don't really need three centre-halves and I know he changed at half-time to be fair to him but you're, you're playing at home to Gibraltar and you've got three centre-halves playing it was like... And at Dundalk again, as well
1: Stephen he was yeah, always 4 3
4: always He was known and playing that way and he had success with Dundalk and obviously a few results went against him and you were thinking right he wasn't stu- he wasn't stubborn enough to kind of write okay we're going to play we're back three here and then he continued on like obviously uh, Auntie Barry was there probably helped him a little bit when he was around with that formation but you look at it now, and it it does. Listen, I'm not coming on here saying Stephen hasn't got a clue tactically. I I, I I've spoke with Stephen before. I know he's a genuine football man, and he loves the game, and he analyzes football very closely in teams. But if if you're watching that, and you sometimes question me going. What what is he what is his thoughts on it? Like obviously you've got Keith Andrews in there where I'm obviously John O'Shea's gone in there now. And listen, John's only in there not so long, but I would say there's a lot been a lot of turnover staff as well behind the scenes. That can't like that can't have been helping things like be, behind the scene, I don't think, because you, you've got three years like an inter- international. I always remember when I was international called it was a real togetherness there, bond with the players and the squad and a, a kind of a group of like management staff and the players, and you grow over kind of periods and kind of catch-ups and and different campaigns but it's been a lot of change there and again it's there's just been no kind of stability there the only stability has been kind of poor, well, poor results and ultimately that's where we're at and listen as well as we wanted Stephen to do and it'd be great if we like Alan mentioned there go and play this magnificent style of football we we have to kind of realize the players we have and we played into teams hands at times and I don't know maybe it was just a little bit naive or something regarding the international side of things but I'm sure Stephen, like, is gonna whatever if he does stay on in the job, or if he if he kind of if he has to step down. I'm not sure. I'm sure he's gonna learn from this. It it doesn't kind of define him. I think every like as a manager, you're and a coach, you're probably looking at things and you're learning all the way. And it so happens that he's managed to kind of earn the right to manage the biggest team in our country, like the, the national team. And he deserved that opportunity for all the work he'd done beforehand. But maybe at this moment in time, it just seems like it's been a little bit step too, too far from, because the results are going to tell you that no matter what the squad is, because we still have a squad of players there that if you set them up correctly and you get that little bit of, conti- like kind of continuity there with them, you can go and put in better performances and have a bit of an identity. We don't really have an identity and that's the, the big problem. And like Alan mentioned there, he did, he did say a lot at the start of his company that he was going to create this identity and this flamboyance. And I think that's what people are starting to get a little bit kind of where's this coming from? And it, do we give him another campaign to kind of get going again? And it's, listen, like I said, 21s is for developing players. We need results. So you only have to look at Scotland there now flying at the moment. And we beat them not so long ago. And to refer to Stephen, that was Stephen's team that beat them. But why haven't we kicked on? From that result, you know. Whereas you look at Scotland, there going out and beating Norway away. Not really great performance, but they had they had an identity. They knew what they were about. Made changes at the right time, the manager, and they get the result. And it's just we just seem like we're so far off at the moment. It's so frustrating as an Irish fan.
0: Yeah, and the the identity question, Alan, is actually kind of an interesting one because we we know with the likes of Spain and the Netherlands, like going back over decades and over generations, there there's an identity that comes from the ground up and. I don't know, maybe for Stephen Kenny, it's it's a harder thing to do, to do it from the top down in that way, because it's certainly not necessary. Maybe it's changing now in terms of the youth teams and things, but that takes a while to go from the ground up. And obviously, we've been talking about like investment that the FAR are looking to do in facilities and things like that. Uh, like they're looking for $863 million, but there's a lot of work to do. And he's only got that one job at the, the top of the senior team.
1: Yeah, exactly, Raph, and those countries you mentioned, culturally, that's the way they've always been brought up over a lifetime. We've been brought up with kick and rush, if you like to, to coin of phrase, and... Obviously, all the changes in terms of the, the lack of industry, if you like, in this country has made things so much difficult and we we are way behind in terms of other European nations. We all know that. Hence why the FEI are coming out last week with that document and looking for that investment that you said, because football, not only on the pitch in terms of the international team, but off the pitch as well, is very much at a low ebb and very much starting from scratch in terms of the national academies and all that. And all that stuff is a wider argument. And then you could argue... Stephen's thrown into the mix and is he unfortunate that this is the time that he took over Irish football but then you could argue if we were riding high as a top nation would he be in the mix to get the job we don't know but I don't think he can look back if he was to to end the campaign in, in defeat if you like and, and we don't qualify which very much looks like that at the moment I don't think he can look back Raph and and say he hasn't been given a chance or he's been treated harshly he's had every chance he's had every opportunity uh, we've all wanted him to succeed. We've all wanted him to well, and um, we understood what he was trying to do. As I said, the first eighteen months, two years, whatever the case may be. But I still go back to it. He's three years into the job now, and this was the campaign that we needed to see something give us hope, give us give us a bit of life, give us a bit of energy in the campaign that we're still at September, October, in with a in with a squeak, and it just feels like the second game into it. And again, I go back to it, not just because of the results, but because of the performance. I could have lived with it. If we went out to Greece the other night, for all the reasons that we've already stated of where we're at as a nation, what he's trying to do, where we are in the rankings... The, the body of evidence of teams that we've beaten. So we have no divine right to go to Greece and win. And I would have lived with no problem had we gone over to Greece, given a good account of ourselves and maybe come a li- come up a little bit short, but we played really well and we were unlucky. And that's not saying we want to see moral victories. But if we were seeing something that you could say, oh, well, they're, they're, they're progressing still, things are on the right track still, they were unlucky in the game. But because it was so bad, and as Stephen said, he had two weeks to prepare... It looked like lads who had just met up for the first time. A lack of plan, lack of strategy, all those kind of things. We were outwitted by by Gus Poyet, and I think that's what's so damaging for Stephen. And here we are, um, as I said, what well, it's three games now after last night into the campaign, and it almost feels it's over already.
0: Yeah, and Stephen, I mean the system as well. Just to go back to you mentioned the Gibraltar game and how you know there was the con- continuity of playing three at the back against Gibraltar and maybe. You know, there hasn't, there hasn't really been a move until half time to an alternative system like a 4 3 3, which is more or less what um, they moved to in the second half. And things looked a little bit better on that front against that level of opposition. But do you think Mikey Johnston's emergence as a sort of natural winger and then, say, Chidozi, Ogbeni, whenever he's back from injury as well, does allow for that option now for Stephen Kenny?
4: Yeah, I think, listen, I think on Mikey Johnston, he came on last night. He probably, in hindsight, he probably should have started a game. But I think he. What he did do last night, he created a spark. He, he he wants to get on the ball and he wants to get at defenders, and he's done all right in the games he's played. He obviously had a little little um, cameo as well on Friday, but he's. He's the type of player that you think he, we don't have many players like that. I'm not going to say like he looks a little. He reminds me a little bit of Aid Mcgee. Now I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Aiden Mcgee because that's putting a lot of pressure on his shoulders, obviously with the Celtic link as well. But he did off. He did change the game for us. I think last night. I think he just gave us that little bit more kind of I want us to get forward and few more, few more bodies in attack. And listen, I don't want to go too deeply into the Gibraltar game. Like we, Stephen should have probably recognised that we could have. Could have started with a bit more of an attacking kind of mindset last night and ultimately to be fair to him he did change you can only judge him on Mira, and he did change at half time and we got the result. and we were always going to win that game but now there's a players there obviously Ogben he, he missed this campaign he was to come in another player is Manon like he's he's somebody that's done really well and he's kind of uh, he's not really had much of a look in it over his whole time in charge and that's an area that's a position down that left side where you think could a position could open up and I would probably like to see him over the course if he continues performing like uh, in the UK to kind of get him get him in around the squad to see what he can offer because he, he's done really well over the past two years and for whatever reason he hasn't really his face hasn't really fit in with Stephen Kenny Yeah
0: and uh, also James McLean Alan I mean uh, a momentous night for him last night in terms of joining what is a very select group of people who've played 100 times for Ireland, but also he was left out of the starting lineup uh, uh, against Greece and Callum O'Dowd, uh, of course, he gave away the penalty, but also didn't perform particularly well. So was there an argument as well that McLean maybe, were you surprised he maybe didn't start in, in Greece, given sort of his experience?
1: Yeah, that's a fair point, Raf, but these are things you can always debate after the event. I think, to be fair to Stephen, he spoke um, very fondly about Kalamadou I know he likes him, and I think it was probably in his thinking that O'Dowd would give you more going forward. But unfortunately, that's all good and well uh, when you have the ball. But because Greece had so much of the ball, what is he going to give you out of possession? And he's not a defender. He's a winger playing left wing back, and he got exposed badly. And I think as well, what Stephen said earlier about Daryl Lenehan, obviously those two, that combination, I'd say it was the first time they've ever played together down that left-hand side, the left-sided centre-half and the left wing back. and, and Crazy to see is the- isn't it? In yeah. a game
4: like that, it's crazy to put them two in. I
1: just... Again and
4: this you, is this this is where we're at. Like why has he done that? There's obviously I'd like Steve McMill and actually somebody asked him, Why have you done that and not kinda of continued on like like I know why not play O'Shea? Just continue that back three, they know each other's game and continue. I didn't I think with
1: that. I yeah, I think with the O'Shea one, obviously he hadn't played a lot of football Yeah, his injured. But, like, but, like, but Lennon was playing every week
2: with middle. Yeah, six so...
4: weeks from the end of the season, you can kinda of, organize an in-house game, get somebody out. Like it's one, one-off international game. You can, I think you can get yourself ready in that position. And I think you, you I think he's good enough to kind of be able to play that. I don't know. See, it goes to-
1: back It goes back to again, Raph, I suppose the whole debate since Stephen came in about the fact that the way he wants to play or do you be, be a bit more pragmatic and you're away to Greece so play McLean, it might be viewed as the negative one, that but but he'd be much more solid defensively. But then you could argue Stephen's thinking we need to go to Greece and win and it might give you more going forward. Now, obviously, we've all seen what happened and it gets exposed. So it goes back to that wider debate again. Does Stephen, and this is where I think Stephen has fallen down a little bit, that you don't have to be like this kind of one-way, all-out, all-out kind of lovely, fancy football. There's a balance to me, man. When you defend, you defend. When you have the ball, you go out and play it. And and I think that's where we, we look so well, open at times. Well that... Al, I
4: think managers like Gus Poye, experienced manager managing the Premier League as some Spot that. Point, Do you know what I mean? He's gonna these guys aren't stupid. They them and their staff are watching Ireland play and they're thinking right, we can hurt them there it's like you have to you have to be re- like you can't just go, Yeah. Like hello, yeah, we're gonna play like this, and not worry about the opposition. Like for me, I doubt it shouldn't shouldn't have played. Like I listen, James McLean, he's been a phenomenal servant to Irish football. Like in hindsight, yeah, he probably should have played the game, but it's just it's just crazy. Like I just feel like we we make it we've been making it so easy for oppositions to kind of to play against us, and then we don't have that plan B because it's like and it's all like you do you do need a plan B, and listen, people that say when you're when you're somebody like Ireland, it's different if you're like a great football team like Man City or the old Barcelona team. This is the way we're going to play. Bang, bang, bang. And we continue to goal. We're going to continue to play like that. Because you have play- we don't have the players to continue to do. You've got to find an, a nice kind of in-between area where you can, you know what, we can do that when we have the ball. And we just haven't, Stephen hasn't been able to manage, hasn't managed being able to kind of get that that right in his whole time. And if anything, as bad as I said, it looks like we've gotten worse. It looks like we've genuinely gotten worse while he's being manager. And that's, that's really, really
0: disappointing. Yeah, and I suppose the frustrating thing, Alan, um, is the the fact that you know when the draw was made initially, there was a sense France would top the group. The Netherlands were did well, quite well in the World Cup, getting to a quarterfinals. They've changed manager since though, and under Ronald Koeman, they've looked very, very shaky. Especially the evidence of those um, Nations League you know the nations league semi-final and then the third place playoff that they lost to to Italy on on Sunday and then on top of that the 4-0 defeat to France back in March as well so there's probably a little bit of a it feels maybe like a little bit of a missed opportunity because the dutch are not great shakes i know maybe <laughs> they would probably say the same about us as well but they're not they're not they're not at the peak that they sometimes are and, and there was a maybe a little glimmer of hope there yeah 100% raf that's what makes it all
1: the more frustrating because what you need to do was just stay in the game and stay in the campaign. and that was all that was going to come down to the Greece game. To gave us a chance against the Netherlands and France in the kind of one-off matches or a kind of almost like a shootout with them. And we always thought, as we know, France, obviously the quality they have, fair enough, if they're going to go on and top the group. And it would be really asking a lot for us to pick up anything in those games. But we always felt maybe against the Netherlands, we'd have a squeak. And we'd have even more of a squeak now, as you say, because of the current run of form they're in. But that almost feels redundant now because we've lost the Greeks you know, and that's the frustrating thing, that adds to the frustration, because Greece, Greece rubbing their
4: hands together more than those have to be, they'll be ticking. do you know, what? we've gave France a tough game there um last night, we, we can go and be Holland, whereas we're, I, I reckon these other nations at the moment look at us as if we're like, kind of, I wouldn't say as bad as Gibraltar, but like the likes of another way we used to look at Latvia and Lithuania, like Liechtenstein over the years, I think other countries and nations probably look at us like that a little bit, now that's that's the reality. like, And I know you can mention the players we have that like Ferguson coming through, but I reckon other countries are genuinely looking at us thinking we don't really have to worry about Ireland too much anymore because we were always, we we are always competitive in games, always competitive in games. At the moment, we are just, we're, we're easy. We're, we're so easy to play against them. We've become the type, we've become a country there where I don't think countries give us that much respect anymore. Genuinely, I think that the, the better football teams just look at us and think oh, that, that'll be an easy game, which is, Which is dreadful, really, and we need to do something to change
0: it. Yeah, Alan. Just on that as well, because I saw also like you were tweeting about, uh, you know, Croatia's midfield, and you know, any country would want a midfield of that. And like we've just been talking about the Irish midfield as well. So there, there's a sense maybe that uh, even compared to maybe twenty years ago, where we were very, very competitive we have dropped
1: off. Yeah, of course. The evidence is there, you know, and we always knew, I always knew there was going to be some sort of a drop-off because where Stephen was starting from and we don't have the players playing at the elite level or Premier League and a lot of the players that we have, unfortunately, are struggling at championship level and wherever they can get game time and they're all struggling for game time as we know. So, of course, naturally enough, there's going to be a drop-off but that makes it all the more Um, maybe the balance to be met in terms of being a more pragmatic approach because we don't kind of have as I say the, the game that maybe Stephen and I know what Stephen wants and I know how he sees the game and the ideal in his head about how the game should be played but that's one thing with Dundalk at a League of Ireland level to transfer that same idealism into an international football with a country who we've only beaten five teams in 24 competitive games coming off kind of a poor enough record to try and translate what his ideal of the game is onto those international players who are struggling for game time at their clubs into getting results at international football. And that's where he's been found wanting and it's been a major struggle for him. And as I said, maybe he did talk it up too much at the start and we're seeing that now and we're seeing the fruits of it. And then the wider thing is, Raf, we're seeing this is, this is the chickens coming home to roost in the sense of, all the lack of investment, all the stuff that we haven't done in the last 20, 25 years, and that's why we're left with lads as well, not not making their way, if you like, at Premier League level, and that's only going to get harder. Hence why we have the academy structures and all that stuff that we're starting now, but that stuff should have been started 25 years ago. Like, that's why... As I say, the stuff that's starting now is going to take another 15 years before we see the fruits of it, maybe 10, 15 years. Stephen will be long gone. There could be three or four or five different managers in that period. But we are at a really low ebb at the moment.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, as as we said, France are up next on se- the 7th of September. So not exactly uh, the easiest game to come back to. And it's in the Parc de Prince in Paris. Uh, obviously, the Stade de France is currently not usable just with the Olympics coming up next year. And then, as we've said, the Dutch are coming to the Aviva Stadium three days later. Um, but For the Ireland women's, uh, they have Zambia live on RT2 and the RT player on Thursday at 7 p.m. So this is the first of the immediate warm-up games for the World Cup. Kick-off is going to be at 7.30 p.m. And in the build-up to this, I was talking to my RT Sport Online colleague, Anthony Pine about the match and also about the opposition, Zambia, what uh, what Ireland can, uh, can expect, and also the streamlining of Vera Pau's squad. It does feel very much that this uh, this run towards the World Cup, it's very much getting real now. We're at that point. It's a month away. And obviously when you start hearing words like World Cup warm-up, it definitely feels that way.
5: Yeah, um, there was an open training session uh, at Belfield at UCD uh, on Friday morning. There was about 1,200 fans there and terrific Excitement and, and camaraderie between the supporters and the players as there always is that they they're, they're really good with the fans like that, you know, they give an awful lot of time back to them um, And you know, I think they appreciated the, the turnout when everybody was in good form and good spirits and looking sharp uh, Leanne Kiernan was in with the group, you know, Leanne's season was was decimated by bad ankle injury, but she's part of this extended panel and she's one of the players that will really hope to get a decent shot against Zambia on Thursday at Tala because she hasn't played a lot of football um, for club or country. She hasn't been involved at all really since Ireland since uh, for Ireland excuse me since last September. Uh, she was in the squad for the game in Slovakia. But you know, she hasn't been in since then. So uh, she she spoke to us afterwards and she's obviously excited and, and hoping to get a, a swing. And there'll be a few others in the same boat. But um, time's obviously running out for a lot of these players now. That the, the official squad will be named uh, on Thursday week, so that's the 29th of June, that the 23 player squad. Plus, three backup players will be allowed to travel to Australia um, in case of injury or illness or late dropout. So, yeah, it is absolutely all getting real. And um, I think the, the game against Sambia will be informative. You know, I think we will see Leanne Kiernan for example, and, and probably one or two others. But at this stage, you'd have to imagine that Bira Powell has a, a, a pretty good idea, in fact, more than a pretty good idea, of, of what that 23 is going to be. Um, Aoife Mannion is her main injury concern at the minute. She's she's still in a protective boot. Uh, She she tweaked her knee, a ligament in her knee, in training with Manchester United. Um, But they're giving her every chance. They're saying that she's certainly not ruled out. It's it's precautionary at the minute. That's the only reason that she's not in. They're taking her time with her. uh, And that would obviously suggest that she's definitely one that looks a shoo-in to be on the plane, as long as she's fit. Um, so we will await any updates on that and obviously from her point of view, you know She'll hope that that recovery goes well She's staying with the club at the minute to, to recuperate and help, help her re- rehabilitation uh, Kay McCabe joins the camp today. She's a little later coming in because of um, her Arsenal commitments She needs a little extra time off uh, Megan Campbell is also coming into the group today and the US-based players uh, Marissa Shiva, Denise O'Sullivan Uh, Sinead Farley, they will join on the 26th, so after the Zambia game. They won't be involved in the Zambia game, but they will come into camp um, afterwards because they are currently playing in the NWSL. That season is ongoing, so they're playing uh, with their clubs at the minute and will join a a little bit later. So everybody's coming in in dribs and drabs, but they're all in good form. Raf, and, and looking at, looking forward to this game. Yeah, it's all against an interesting opposition in Zambia.
0: Yeah, interesting you say, and also interesting why Zambia were picked now. They're possibly, and usually when teams do this, this is all about um, taking on teams that are in the same confederation as, as opponents. Nigeria being, of course, in Ireland's group, and Zambia beat them in the Africa Cup of Nations last year to finish third. Um, so they're obviously a strong, quite a strong team, and I know you've been speaking to a Zambian journalist about them as well.
5: Yeah, I'm I, I, I got some insight into Zadme of a piece up today, um, they are not the finished article, they're, they're a little naive defensively and that's, that's probably their main weakness at, at the moment in, order, in terms of their organisation, they're, they're a little bit um, naive because they're so attack minded, but certainly going forward, they are loaded with pace, they have a lot of talent in the top toward the pitch from, from midfield up, a lot of quick players, I mean, the, the main star for them is Barbara Banda, uh, she's their, their captain and their striker. She's playing in China at the minute in the Chinese Super League uh, with Shanghai Shengri and scoring a lot of goals and uh, she she is attracting interest from Europe and I think she will end up in one of the big clubs in Europe sooner rather than later. Like She's already turned heads at the Olympic Games. Um, she scored, I think she scored back-to-back hat-tricks at the Olympic Games and uh, she then subsequently missed... Um, the women's AFCON because her testosterone levels were too high. This, is a, this can happen naturally, as, a, as a, that's the case with her. It's a natural occurrence, but um, she actually took medication to try and bring her testosterone levels down and it, she couldn't get them down sufficiently and she wasn't allowed to play. Uh, now, she did come back into the, the, the fold subsequently and she has been given the green light to play uh, in the World Cup. They have qualified for the World Cup. They will be there. Um, they're not as strong as Nigeria. But they are dangerous opponents and they are coming for us. they've got a lot of good, hungry players who are looking to get moves to Europe. you know, And, and they've a lot of ability as well around Barbara Banda. A couple to look out for, um, in Katongo is a very skillful dribbler, will always look to try and take players on. Giamara Mapepa is sort of there as um, another very quick, direct, wide player. Grace Chanda, really clever player. They're sort of their equivalent to uh, Denise O'Sullivan. She's like, the ties things together. And uh, Rachel Lachula is now a little older. She's well into her 30s at this stage, but she is a former 400 meter sprinter. And uh, she actually represented Zambia at the Olympic Games. So again, quick, you know, they have tons of pace and they should be exciting to watch. So it's a a good test. Uh, It's a good test for Ireland. It's a sellout again at Tala Stadium. And, you know, none of these games are, are, um, walks in the park, like there's, the stakes are high, like everybody wants to impress the manager, nobody's going to be counting their chickens in terms of being on the plane, and there's a lot of players in the Ireland squad who are probably, there's a lot of players who probably think, I have a chance, you know, obviously she can't bring everybody, but there's a lot that are sort of, well I might be, and particularly if, I mean I, I think If Emmanuel will be okay, but if she wasn't, that would open do- the door to maybe three or four others, who would think, well, if she's not gone, I should be next, I mean, so, you know, it's, it will be an interesting night. It will be an interesting night. And it will be a, a tough
0: game for them, I think. Yeah, uh, as you said, um, the squad selection—it's 29 to this month, and so a week after this uh, Zambia game, which is obviously going to be very informative. But um, as you said, there are about four or five players who would feel they have a shot at making this World Cup squad. How many positions, really, though, do you feel are up for grabs in, within the 23? Because it is a tight 23. It's not like the 26th that was um, in the men's World Cup just back in December.
5: What's in, one of the things that happened in the double header uh, against the USA, uh, it's a significant thing really, is, is that Heather Payne was switched from playing as a lone attacker to a right-back. And that, su- that switch was very successful because she looked far more comfortable in that position and it, it played to her strength. She's a strong runner, she's a good defender and she, can, she she's a brilliant engine. like She's uh, fantastic uh, stamina. So she was able to get up and down all night in both games. She was really... Very, it's the best I've seen her actually in, in a long time playing for Ireland. Like, I thought she was starting to really struggle as a lone striker because I don't think she's very good with, the, with her back to goal. Uh, it's much more comfortable when the pitch is in front of her. and um, So she was excellent. That meant that Kira Caruso played the lone striker. She was she was also excellent. You know, She is someone who's good with her back to goal and can hold the ball up and bring other players into play. Uh, and then obviously Sinead Faraday coming into the team um, she's a quality player now she again like she needs she hasn't played a lot of football she's only played 45 minutes sorry why does she play for ireland the, the the game against the us i think about an hour that's all she played but she's gone i mean she will be there like so there's there's a knock on there's a chain reaction with these players who've come in uh, all around the pitch like in all parts of the pitch up front midfield and now at the back because i think heather payne like I, I would be very surprised if she doesn't start right back against australia so that's that's bad news for say the likes of Anya gorman and there's three or four in, in nearly every part of the pitch were are scrambling to try and get in there you know jamie finn is but but they are the likes of them are, are also quite um versatile so you know lucy quinn wasn't even in the squad initially for uh the usa games because um megan campbell four story open Megan pulled out late Lucy came in she was she was the player of the match against the USA in the second game so um, it's it's difficult it's difficult to call like I mean I, I think fear Powell will have a fair idea but um you certainly will never envy her like it's tough and she's you know she's already had to make a lot of calls ahead of this camp this is there's 31 players in this camp so she's she's already had to trim it down and anyone who's not in this camp now knows that they're, they're not going so she's already had at this point a lot of players and, and this is where it gets even even more For her, because you know, she's there's everybody that's there will have you know a case to say they should be gone and deserve to be gone, but of course can't all go so um you know we'll have
0: to wait and see what happens towards the week and uh that is anthony pine discussing the ireland women's national team at the first warm-up game which is thursday as i said on rt2 and the rt player uh kickoff at 7 p.m and then france will be next on the 6th of july and then Colombia on the 14th after the team have already arrived in australia and uh it's all getting fairly exciting on that front and then there are results domestically in the avenir sports all-island uh, cup so this is where The women's Premier Division teams and the teams from up north have uh, combined into a tournament, which is really important just to give game time when all the focus is going to be on international games. In Group A, Linfield lost uh, 1-0 to Galway United and then Shelburne beat Atlone Town 4-1 away and Jess Stapleton's moving on to a women's Super League side from the 1st of July and that was confirmed today. And then in Group B, Shamrock Rovers beat P-Mount 2-1, Glentoran and Wexford drew one all. In Group C, Bohemians won 3-1 at Sligo Rovers, and Cliftonville beat Sion Swifts 2-1. And in Group D, Cork City beat DLR Waves 2-1, and Crusaders beat Treaty United 3-2. And uh, this weekend, uh, this Friday, we have got Bohemians and Shamrock Rovers live on RT2 and the RT player on Friday from 7.35. And... Alan, I suppose your thoughts. Um, you know the the League of Ireland sort of at it, it's at its midway point at this stage, and uh, uh, you know Shamrock Rovers were quite shaky at different times, and yet you look at the table and they've got a fairly healthy gap before a huge weekend where a they have the derby, but then they have Derry City on Monday.
1: Yeah, massive gap or sorry, massive uh, weekend with the two games. Raf, as you is saying to have opened up that gap and.
0: I think the focus has
1: to be on the other teams because as you say, we haven't seen Shamrock Rovers, like obviously they got off to the kind of shaky enough start by their standards. I think the the amount of draws was five draws out of the first six. Then they went on the unbelievable run. Then they lost a couple of games as well, but yet they're still, here we are at the mid-season break, six points clear and looking very, very comfortable. Um And, I just think I've been disappointed with Derry overall, obviously Bohemians, to be fair to Declan Devine, it's his first full season, so if he was to finish in the European places, I think that's a really good return for him, we never really viewed them as title challengers, Derry was the one that we were hoping we'd put it up to Shamrock Rovers, and obviously, um, I know they're only six points off it or whatever, but that hasn't really materialised yet. Next Monday's game, obviously Friday, the game was on the telly against Bohemians, a huge match. I'm looking forward to that, raf But next Monday, I think Derry have to go to Tala, regardless of what happens Friday against Bohemians for Shamrock Rovers. I think Derry, for themselves, just to give them that boost, to feel as though they can put it up to Shamrock Rovers, I think they have to win in Tala. And they did do that last year, to be fair to them. But it's a different story this year. And I think they have to get that victory next Monday to have any chance. But it's just
0: hard to see past Shamrock Rovers at the moment. They're cruising. Yeah, and then also the draw for the uh, the Champions League qualifiers and also the Europa Conference League ones have just happened. Uh, actually, while we were on air, the Europa Conference League one happened. But Shamrock Rovers have been drawn against the pre- preliminary round winners and the Champions League first qualifying round. And the clubs that they're, they could face um, when that preliminary round is done is either from Andorra, Montenegro, San Marino and Iceland. And then when we look at the Europa Conference League uh, draws well, there's uh, Dundalk against Bruno's Magpies with Gibraltar and uh, Derry City taking on HP Torchhaven or Faroe Islands. And then um, St. Pats are up against F, uh, F91 F. Didalang of uh, Luxembourg. So, you know, it, 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 they, I suppose the takeaway from this, it's they're fairly favourable opening draws for all four teams.
1: Yeah, I would think so, Raf. And to be fair, the European stuff has been very good over the last kind of couple of seasons uh, with lots of teams doing well and getting runs. And obviously, the chance to earn major money as well as we you know the financial rewards to get through a couple of rounds is absolutely massive to the clubs. So they are favourable draws against teams you would think kind of similar standard to ourselves. Um, but I, w- I would be very hopeful with the teams, obviously, as you say, that, that that have been drawn in those games, that they would come out and maybe get through a round or two. Definitely from Sharma Rovers' point of view, we're looking for for them to be the flag bearers, if you like, and and get through. Eventually, I know they're in the Champions League now, but eventually get through to maybe a, a conference league group stage or whatever the drop down is as they progress through. So, And I think that's one eye that Stephen Bradley will have on as well. Hence the fact that he wanted to build up a cushion in the league because... The games will be coming thick and fast. And that's the only way I see now a team closing the gap in Shamrock Rovers is that if they do get into, I suppose... Uh, a really deep run in one of the European competitions and they're playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday or whatever the case may be that gives hope to the other teams as well that maybe they might be taking their eye off the ball or just distracted in terms of injuries or um, squad depth, whatever the case may be but I do think those draws are favourable and as I said, the last couple of years the European stuff has been really positive around the league so hopefully that's more of the same this year off
0: yeah and we mentioned Liam Brady earlier um in regards to his thoughts on the Ireland team at present but also as uh, as I mentioned at the time as well um, it's the end of an era. Um, his time on the panel, his time with RTE as well. So let's just listen to him. Um, I suppose his his, his last words uh, as part of the panel here, and then we'll I suppose we reflect back a little bit.
1: And it does seem fitting to get one final thought from our departing Liam. Liam, is there anything you you want to? Well, I'd by like
0: saying? to say uh,
5: a great thanks to RTE for giving me the chance to sit here for the last twenty five years and and do what I do, with get paid for talking about football. What a dream job. Um, Uh, My grandchildren are are coming to the Aviva now to watch the matches, so I'm going to be with them. Oh, I tell you what, it is much nicer
1: to be with them probably than us watching (laughs) football matches. Although they may not pay you, they might just take a few quid from your pocket instead. (laughs) But Liam Brady, it has been an absolute honour and privilege. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, Liam Brady there with his uh, final farewell. And Stephen, I suppose we've, we've all grown up with You know, Bill Hurley, um, you know, John Giles, Eamon Dunphy, and Liam Brady, that sort of panel was was iconic. And it just does feel like it does feel like an end of an era.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Liam Brady, listen, first and foremost, what a player he was. I know he's a bit before our time, but watching kind of footage of him when he used to play, he was, uh, I think he mentioned last night before the game, he he looked at the pitch, he goes, I never got to play in a pitch like this in Dublin. Like, so that probably tells you everything. I would have loved him to see him play, probably on the pitches that the teams play on now. He, he was he was a phenomenal player for Ireland, Arsenal, obviously over in Italy as well. But again, historically over the years on RTE, we've all, myself, we're all similar age here. We would have grown up kind of watching the the World Cups and the Euro campaigns with, with the, where all the lads talking and having their own private jokes and all and their little spats And it, it was great television. And uh, it, it was a natural. And listen, Liam, I met, I met Liam years ago when he was Arsenal Scott sco- uh, many years ago when I, when I was a young lad. And he was always very knowledgeable about football and very warm and, and, and a very welcoming man. So, listen, I wish him good luck. Uh, I wish him all the best in his retirement and, listen, he's going to get to spend a little bit more time with his grandchildren and great.
0: Yeah, and Alan, I suppose, a final word to you as well, just on, just on Liam, I suppose, that entire panel, Um, you know, there was a sense that they just, they saw, that you know, they spoke of the, of the football as they saw it. Like, there was no, you know, there was no uh, prevaricating or anything. It's what they saw and that's what they would, uh, that's what they would say. Yeah, absolutely,
1: Raph. We all grew up with it and golden moments, really, with those three and Liam, John and Eamon. I was fortunate enough to do a bit of work with Eamon as well and absolutely brilliant um, times together with him. And uh, just to listen to him and so passionate and and brilliant and cranky and all the things that we've seen over the years. And and Liam, as Stephen said, an unbelievable player, first and foremost, probably one of the best we've ever uh, produced and then the career that he's had obviously in the media and I thought it was lovely last night Raf, uh, there was no Ferrari around it I think that's what Liam is like you know I don't think he wanted the, kind of a circus around the fact that he was leaving, uh, just a quiet word and I thought it was lovely that his last comment was all the years he's probably spent playing away, playing football and in the media stuff
0: missing out on moments and now we can go to matches with his grandkids, it was lovely yeah, very much so. But uh, that brings us to an end for uh, this week's podcast. We're going to be back next Monday to reflect on all the weekends, League of Ireland. And also, we're going to be uh, following the latest from the Ireland women's camp as well as this uh, squad selection approaches. And then, obviously, the big one, the World Cup, which is going to be live across all of RTE's platforms as well from the 20th of July onwards. But Alan Colley, thanks a million for your time. And uh, Stephen Elliott as well. Cheers, rath